Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Michael Lockstempford, and today we're going to hear the last episode in our Break the Dawn series. We spent the last four weeks walking line by line through the night before Jesus was arrested, and today we arrive at the break of dawn. It is intense, it is emotional, and it draws us to think of our commitment to serve and honor God. Before we get started, I want to invite you to something we call a family meal this Sunday, February 26th, if you're downloading this on its release date. This is a free meal that we share together after our worship gathering so we can build deeper relationships with each other. We'll be having hamburgers and hot dogs this time around, and we would love for you to join us this weekend if you're near Ocala. Worship with us starting at 10 a.m. and then stay for a complimentary lunch complete with new friends. Now, let's break the dawn together in John chapter 18. Hey, good morning, church. Have you ever had somebody that broke a promise to you? Yeah. I think, um, I think parents probably get the worst rap for this, especially in the movies. And uh, unfortunately, and it might be accurate, I'm not willing to go on record as saying it's accurate yet, but uh, it might be dads that kind of get the biggest rap for not keeping promises. Promise I'll be at your game. Uh, he didn't see me make the game-winning touchdown. This is where I veer into sports metaphors, and I'm not equipped to do that, so I'm going to stop right now. But, but we've, we've all had experiences. We've seen, it, we've seen it in movies regularly where somebody makes a promise and then they can't keep it. And, and, and we can identify with that because we've had that happen before to one degree or another. There have been times where somebody's made a promise to us personally and they haven't kept it. So enter into that with me for a minute. And, and how do we feel towards the person who hasn't kept a promise that they made? Are we really excited? We want to support them and go help them with all of the stuff that they're doing? No. We, uh, we're hurt, right? There's some pain there. And um, sometimes, okay, for, I'll just answer for myself. I won't put you on the spot. But sometimes I get a little bit vengeful. I'm like, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to figure out a way that I can manipulate the situation so that they put their trust in me and then I can let them down and they can see how I feel right now. Um, But that's just me, I'm sure. You fine people don't have that same streak in you. Um, It happens. And and this morning we're going to look together in John chapter 18 at how Jesus responds when somebody hasn't kept their promise to him. So, as my means of review, just very, very quickly, the whole book of John, chapters 1 through 12, cover three years. 1 through 12 is three years of Jesus' life. He shows up and he starts teaching and doing miracles. Um, and, and then at chapter 13, the whole book slows down. 1 through 12 is three years. Chapter 13 through 17 and, and the part of 18 we're going to talk about today is one night, a single evening, and a lot happens. Put yourself, 
if, if, did you ever go to school and do, I know y'all aren't as bad as I am, but have you ever procrastinated something and then you have to pull an all-nighter or it's just not going to get done? This is the all-nighter. But what's incredible is that the disciples didn't know there was an assignment due. <laughs> they're going to get to the morning and the teacher's going to say, hey, turn that in. And they're going to go, well, I was up all night doing an all-nighter, but I didn't know there was an exam. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So open your Bibles to John chapter 18 if you're using one of our story Bibles or if you need one that's on page 748. Does anybody need a story Bible? You guys good? We're good. That's page 748 in the story Bible. John chapter 18. I'll just give you the sneak peek. We're going to learn this morning that Jesus is God, even in our most fearful moments. So keep that in mind as we read John chapter 18. Can we pause and pray together? Let's do that. Jesus, you're good, and you're kind to us. And Lord, we acknowledge up front and open here at the beginning that we have made promises to you that we have not kept. We've made vows and we have sworn things that we would do and we've forgotten them. And so, Lord, as we read this text that was written down for our benefit, we pray that we might see ourselves here as in a mirror. And that, Lord, as we come to understand better who we are, that we might see how much greater you are. These things we ask in your name and for your glory. Amen. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, what words did he speak? Just real quick. His prayer. What was 17, chapter 17? He's praying for his disciples. So when he had spoken these words, he finished praying, he went out to his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a, brand, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fill, fulfill the word that he had spoken, of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's, the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into his sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus 
and bound him. Let's pause there. From these 12 verses, I think the big idea is that Jesus is God. We read this morning from Exodus, when, when Moses encountered God, he scared one. And God says, hey, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. You've never experienced anything like this before. You've never been in this presence before. Acknowledge that. And so Moses, who having shown up out of nowhere, he's just watching sheep. He's, he's not anybody super special. He's just a guy who's watching sheep. And he happens to see this bush, and he goes to see what's going on. And God steps into his world and says, take your shoes off. And so Moses gets this commission where God says, I'm going to send you to my people and you're going to deliver a message to them. And he's going, all right, yeah. just watch my sheep here, minding my own business, and you're jumping into my life right now. Who do I tell these people is sending me? And grammatically, in trying to understand the language that God uses of himself is, is, is frustrating. Because God acknowledges that human language cannot contain his identity. Because his words are, I am who I am. So Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, I'm God. I am. I exist. There's a little bit of a back and forth between him and Moses. Um, I don't think that Moses quite gets it. But from here on out, this I am is how God identifies himself. I am. And when, when, when the Greeks translated the Hebrew a few years later, the phrase that they used to translate it, I'm just going to give you a little bit of Greek. and it's, it's real simple, and I promise I have a point to it. I don't normally do this, but I'll give you a little bit of Greek. It's ego a me. I am. Myself. I myself am. Ego a me. I am. That's how they translated Exodus chapter 3 when they were translating it from the Greek. Or 5, 3 or 5, I don't remember where it was. So here, <laughs> this, this is fascinating. That Jesus has done this whole night of teaching. The, the whole Gospel of John has slowed down almost to a crawl where he's going through word by word. This is what Jesus said on his very last night. And he's going through and he's teaching the disciples and he's walking with them and he's praying with them and he takes all night. He gives them the third shift without any warning. He says, this is important. Y'all don't know what's coming, but this is going to be important. And so the whole narrative slows down. And he prays for him. He says, let's go to the garden. And we know from the other uh, biographies of Jesus that they, he prayed there too. And then these band of soldiers show up because Judas has betrayed him. And so Jesus, knowing everything that happens, comes out to meet them. I, my brain goes to parallels in another garden where God comes out to meet somebody who, and God knew what was going on already, but he asks a question in grace. And Jesus comes out, not afraid, says, who are y'all looking for? Say, Jesus of Nazareth! We've got to find this guy. We're not really sure who he is. And we got this Judas guy who says he's going to be here. We're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am. 
And Judas is there. And when Jesus says, I am, what happens to these guys? Boom! Who are you looking for? Jesus, I am. Bam! They're laying on the ground. And so we see, what's the power of somebody's name? When you're in a big crowd and somebody hollers out your name, we're in a big, big crowd, somebody says, Joan! You don't know if they're calling you, but the power of your name for you is that you turn around, stop what you're doing, and look to see who's called your name, right? So here's, that's the power of your name for you. This is the power of God's name in the presence of the created beings. I am on the ground. And we, and we ask to see God's face sometimes. I think sometimes he doesn't give us what he asks for because he knows that we're not going to be able to handle it. God, I want to know you more. Show me your face. You're not ready for that yet. But he says, I am. They hit the ground. And he says, who are you looking for? <laughs> uh, Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, I, just, I told you that's me. Um, if you're looking for me, then keep my disciples. Let, let them go. Right? And he just finished praying for them in John 17. Father, keep them. Guard them. Protect them like a football. Guard it. Protect it. Hold them close. And he does it. There's an army of men with uh, 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 pitchforks and flames and torches, and they're, they're angry, and they're looking for somebody, and they're all riled up, and Jesus lays them all out with just one word. Um... And they get back up, and they're like, all right, I'm not so sure about this, but we still came to do something. And he's like, let these guys go. You came for me, take me. Jesus is still protecting them. But Peter, but Peter, <laughs> he's, he's got a sword, all right? And I don't know why. If this was a regular thing, that he always carried a sword, this is just kind of, I kind of get the picture from his personality that he was a little bit maybe paranoid, and so this was kind of a thing that he did. And so he's got a sword, right? And they come up, this angry mob, and they say, we're looking for Jesus. And he's like, okay, I'll go with you. And Peter's like, no! Don't you remember in John chapter 13 when I said, Jesus, I'll die for you? He's saying, there's an angry mob right there, and they're coming for you, and I got a sword, and I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to pull out my sword, and I'm going to attack. I'm going to take care of this. And he chops off the dude's ear. And Jesus stops him. <laughs> Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father's given me? Now, for us, when, uh, when we read, drink the cup the Father gives me, we, we understand. We, we sang it this morning. Uh, in Psalm 23, the Lord fills our cup to overflowing. It's a picture of blessing. And usually, all throughout the Old Testament, us having a cup is a cup of blessing, right? But this is the Lord's cup. And there's something really interesting that happens when God talks about his cup. His cup is a picture of judgment, And, it's, and it's a, it seems like a weird picture for God to say, my cup is a cup of judgment. But here's the imagery. God invites the whole world to a banquet. 
God says, I want you all to know who I am, and so I'm inviting you all here, and there are wicked people that show up, and God extends his cup to them. There's a cup of wrath, a cup of judgment. And so the host gives them this cup and says, y'all drink it, all of it. Drink it down. And the picture is, they think they can handle it. They're like, oh, God, that guy, I know him, you know, hypothetically. God can judge me. We know people like this that don't take God seriously. And so the picture is the host gives them the cup, and they drink it down, and they can't handle it, and they get drunk, and they pass out, and they're judged. There's destruction. It's an incredible picture. It shows up in Psalm 75. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and Ezekiel all use this picture of judgment as God's cup. When God's got a cup, not a good thing. And Jesus says, shall I not drink that cup? He's not talking about the cup of blessing that we'd prefer to think about coming from God. He's talking about the cup of judgment. Shall I not drink God's judgment that he's prepared for me? So the soldiers take him. And they bind him up, which is a little bit silly to me. All he said was, I am, and knock y'all all to the ground, and you're going to tie his hands? <laughs> I wonder if they gagged him, but that's not in the text. So let's get back to the text in verse 13. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient for one man, that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known by the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You are or excuse me, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So we see here that Jesus is almost God, even in our most fearful moments. We're going to focus in on Peter this morning. Um, The rest of the narrative, the next series that we go through is going to be intimately focused on Jesus, and Jesus is the focus of the text. But I want to pause for a second and and look at what's happening with Peter, because he's prolific in what's happening, too. What God is doing with Peter, I think, is profound, and I'm afraid that we'll miss it. So if you'll permit me to focus on him this morning. Jesus is God in our most fearful moments. In these verses, when we can hide, when we can hide, Jesus is God. Because what happens? They take him away, and they take him to a guy named Annas. And we'll talk about him in a minute. But they show up at the house, and there's another disciple who the high priest knows. And this is kind of John's way of saying, hey, that's me. Like, I was there, and I feel weird writing my own name in here, so uh, that's me. So the high priest knew who I was, so when when I came with Jesus, they took me in, because they knew that I was with him. But Peter stayed outside. 
And so when I got in there and saw that Peter didn't make it in, I went out and talked to the servant girl, and they brought Peter in. And then John, presumably, went back to stand with Jesus, and Peter went to stand by the fire. Because the ser- there, there's a courtyard outside of like the house area where the meeting was actually going on. And so the servant girl comes in, she says, all right, John brought you in. I know John. John's with Jesus. Uh, are you with Jesus? And what's his word? I am not. Jesus says, I am. Translated ego e me. Peter says, I am not. Uk e me. He can hide now. Because the servant girl says, aren't you with him? He says, I'm not. But John's bringing two strings together. And notice that Peter makes himself comfortable. All of this is going on. Jesus has tried to prepare him for this moment. And he just wants to go warm himself by the fire. God, just leave me alone and, and let me keep my hands warm. I've been up all night. I'm tired. Don't make me stand for you right now. Just let me warm up. He makes himself comfortable. And he can hide for the moment. Let's continue reading. In verse 19. And the scene shifts into the house. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why... Do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. He said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, "Uh, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again. And at once, a rooster crowed. Now, if you're paying attention, you're a little bit confused. Because they took Jesus to Annas, who is what? The father-in-law of the high priest. And then when he answers Annas, guy strikes him and says, how do you, is that how you talk to the high priest? And then he sends him to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. And there's a political drama that's going on here where the Jews, according to the scriptures, had one high priest and he served for his whole life. But the Romans didn't like that consolidation of power. So when they took over, they would appoint a high priest as a political office. And so I think my best guess is what's happening here is Annas is the true high priest according to the Jewish scriptures. He serves for his whole life. But the Romans don't like that, so they've appointed Caiaphas for this year. And next year will be a different guy, and next year will be a different guy. 
So from the Roman mindset, Caiaphas is the high priest. And from the Jewish mindset, Annas is the high priest. So that's a little bit confusing, because when Jesus speaks to him, he gets rebuked for speaking poorly to the high priest. Which is fascinating, because what is the high priest's role? What does the high priest do? He teaches. He offers up sacrifices. What's his most important sacrifice? He can go into the Holy of Holies one day a year. They call it the Day of, of Atonement. It's to, they call it Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The, the high priest can go in and make intercession. He prays for the people. And he offers atonement. So the high priest, whose job is to intercede and to atone, is, is sitting with Jesus in his room, who has just interceded for his disciples and has now come to atone for the whole world. You see the gravity of the situation, and you see that nobody quite gets it. Because it's the servant of the high priest who slaps him. Can you imagine, just for a second, if you're the guy in the Bible who slapped Jesus? <laughs> we forget sometimes that these are real people. But after all of this shakes out, and John writes his account, and what if he came to know Jesus and trust him? And his name's not in there. But he knows. That's the guy who slapped Jesus. <laughs> but he's not the only one that has some tension to reconcile. Remember, Peter's standing there, outside. So while Jesus is in there, he's made intercession, and he's going through, and he's going to atone for Peter, inside with Annas. Peter's outside, and the, the people that are standing around the fire with him are like, aren't you with that guy? And he says again, I'm, I'm not. I am not. Oop, Amy, I'm not. <laughs> and this is the humor of the Bible, it's a little bit of dark humor. Um, the cousins of one of the guys who Peter just chopped his ear off, remember that happened? He's standing there too. I'm pretty sure I saw you in the garden. You cut off Uncle Billy's ear. Or it wasn't Billy. What was his name? Malchus. You cut off Malchus's ear. I was standing there. I remember you. Don't you think he's going to remember the guy who cut off his relative's ear? And so the other biographies, the other biographies of Jesus, what we call the Gospels, they say that Peter's fuming mad. He's cursing. I am not. I am not. I don't know him. And the rooster crows. Why is that important? At the beginning of the night, in John chapter 13, when Peter says, I would die for you. I would take on a raging riot of people with pitchforks and torches. I would go to my grave for you, Jesus. And he says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. So here it is. 
We are at the break of dawn. Jesus is God in our most fearful moments when we can hide and nobody knows who we are, when we can't hide and somebody knows exactly who you are. Jesus is where we are not. So let me ask you a question. At this point in in the story, if you were to put them on a scale, Judas and Peter, how how does that scale weigh out? I, I can think, I can imagine that there are some people who say, well, Judas betrayed Jesus, and, and he, he brought the whole mob there. But, but Peter, he just denied him. And, you know, is, he, he, maybe Peter was a little bit better. And I can understand that logic, except that John won't let us go there, because Peter says the exact opposite of Jesus. Jesus says, I am uke me, or not, excuse me. Jesus says, I am ego me. I am. And Peter says, Uk a me. I am not. He says it twice, and then he's denying it. <laughs> At this point in the chapter, Peter is set up as the Antichrist. He's everything that Jesus isn't. So if Jesus is God in our most fearful moments, let's pause for a moment and just ask, are we afraid? Are we afraid when we can hide and people don't really know who we are? Are we afraid they're going to find out? Are you afraid that somebody's going to figure out that you go to church on Sunday? And are you afraid when you can't hide and they do? Will we deny Jesus, or won't we? But there's something else that we need to ask ourselves. How do you treat people who at this point in your life where you know them are hostile to God? We know these people. There are people in our life who hate the idea of God, They hate what he stands for. They hate the people that serve him. They want nothing to do with him. They could, they might even be comfortable with the identity as an antichrist. I want nothing to do with Christ. I want to be the opposite of Jesus. How do we treat those people? I get angry. I get frustrated. I want to show them, like, don't you understand what a contradiction this is for the created being to deny the creator existed and to say that you know more than him? To have the arrogance to say that I, as I observe the world, that doesn't make sense for God to exist. Don't you see all this evil? Don't you see? How can God do this? And is the creator, created, saying to the creator, smarter than you. So how do we respond to those people? I wonder how John responded to Peter tonight. When we meet people 
we're jumping into the middle of their story. Let's say this is chapter 3 in Peter's life. And at this point, as we have paused, and he has been set up for us to understand him to be the Antichrist, at this point, we don't know what the rest of the chapters are going to be. We could equate Judas and Peter as equally guilty of betraying Jesus. So when we meet people who are hostile to God, let's understand that we don't know the rest of their story. We don't know if there'll be Judas. We don't know if there'll be Peter. And for each one of us, as we have come to understand who God is, at those moments, at my chapter 3, people didn't know. So as we walk together through the world, where we look at people and go, you don't have it together yet, you're doing the exact wrong thing, and I want nothing to do with you. Or will we say, you don't have it together yet. You're doing the exact wrong thing. I know Jesus, and I don't know what he's going to do with you, but I, I want you to meet him. I want you to be introduced to who he really is. There's a lot of people who think they know who Jesus is and have never actually been introduced. So... As we've gone through these three series, as we end the Break the Dawn series, we started with our song in the night. Darkness, sorrow, men hated the light. We then, we walked through the valley of shadow. And now we're at Break the Dawn. Light has increased. Jesus is revealing himself in the world as the light of the world. But to be the light of the world, he had to come in at darkness. And now he's here with Peter at the darkest point of his life. And he's getting ready to break the dawn into light and glory. But we're not there yet. So as Jesus has revealed himself, we've partnered with a local artist who's painted and shown us that as Jesus reveals himself, the light increases. If you'll notice on the tree, the vegetation increases and the fruit increases. Jesus didn't say anything about any of that. The growth has increased. So as we've gone through John, we understand better who Jesus is. We grow in him. So in the moments that we're afraid Jesus is God, what will that mean for us this week? Do we see the grace that God has shown us in our darkest moment? Are we willing to extend that grace to other people in their darkest moment? Thanks again for listening. We hope you have been helped, encouraged, and challenged by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web 
ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon. Music